Thank you for joining us online, wherever or whenever uh, you're catching this. We're glad you're with us today. And uh, hey, we are uh, talking about change. We've been talking about change all month, and we've talking about keeping the change that we make. We're looking at change that really matters. And uh, we, we talked about making sense of change. First week, we talked about the fact that sometimes the change that we think we want isn't always the change that we need. Sometimes there's been things that I just knew that I needed, I wanted, and I was so glad that God didn't give me that because in time I saw what I really needed is what he gave me. Last week we talked about how we can open up God's word, and James says his word is like a mirror. It can reflect back to us. His, his word can speak to us and say, hey, Dave, there's a spot I need to work on. There's a spot you need to change. And so we're talking about keeping the change. And along with that, we're doing this 21 days of uh, fasting and prayer following the 21-day devotional. I hope that you're uh, being able to participate with us and move along with us. It's not too late. It's not something magical about the first 21 days of January. You can jump in any time, but I know it's very helpful. And uh, I know for me, it's been a real blessing. And listen, if you failed this week, let me just say, if you, if you tripped up, if you said, you know what, uh, I'm going to fast this, and all of a sudden, you just automatically, your car went straight to that drive-thru, and uh, you were sitting there, and you realized, I am a failure, and uh, I cannot be trusted. Well, that's probably true, but no, <laughs> don't worry about it. Jump back in. Get back on. Uh, this isn't about legalism. This is about celebrating and allowing God to work through us. And so sometimes uh, we have so far to go, and sometimes we can say, man, the changes that I want to see happening isn't happening like I want it to, or sometimes I can make those changes, we can come up with those resolutions, we can come up with those things, and then we look over time and we've faded. We've, we've, we've faded, and people tend to fade. If I was a balloon, I would leak, you know. Uh, let's not go there. But anyway, it's like we fade over time. So as God leads me, I know in my own life, I've got to watch myself. I've got to pay attention to those things, watch myself like a hawk. So today I want to talk to you about like a hawk. And, uh, you know, we're going to look in the Old Testament today, and probably one of my favorite books in the Old Testament is the book of Nehemiah. And if you've been here very long, you'll know that I say that a lot, because I love the story of Nehemiah. I love the person of Nehemiah. I love the, the, the accomplishment and the leadership and the commitment you see in this book. Let me give you a little backstory. Nehemiah is in Babylon, and he uh, has been uh, placed there because Jerusalem was taken over by the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar came, destroyed Jerusalem in about 538 B.C. And when I say destroy Jerusalem, he tore down the walls. He tore down the temple. He took away Everyone that had any skill or was of any type of, uh, uh, of royal birth, and he, they replaced them over into Babylon, which is now modern-day Iraq. So it stripped the country from uh, everyone that had any kind of gift or skill and left it pretty much just to be a place of ruin. Just the poorest of the poor were left there. So this was a promise, though, that in 70 years, God would allow them to go back. And after the 70-year period... The king came along, and he gave them the opportunity that they could go back and rebuild their temple, and some did this. But for whatever reason, efforts that tried and failed the walls continued 
to be destroyed. And in that time, if your walls of your city were uh, no good or full of holes or torn down, you were vulnerable to every kind of trouble and every kind of harm. And so we find another 70 years later, so it's been 140 years since the city has been destroyed, that Nehemiah is serving. He's a cupbearer for the king, so he's got a pretty high position. Basically, he's drinking everything before the king does so that if he gets sick or somebody dies, it's not going to be the king, right? So he's got a pretty cushy job, <laughs> but a very difficult one. So, but he is a cupbearer to the king. He's got family and relatives. This is the city of his ancestors, and his friends and relatives come back to Babylon and give him a report of what's happening, and they explain how terrible things are, that after all this time, nothing has really gotten better. The walls are still torn down. It's still a disgrace. They're still vulnerable. And something happens to Nehemiah's heart where it just, it just shakes him to his core. He, beget, he gets a vision in his heart. He gets a mission in his heart. And he makes a commitment. I've got to do something about this. Well, as the story goes, he goes in to see the king. And the king can tell that something is on his heart. And he asks him what's going on. And Nehemiah, very prayerful through this whole book, he prays and said, God, give me the courage. Give me the strength. Give me the words to say. He shares his heart with the king. And the king says, what do you want me to do? What can I, how can I help this, this situation? And the king allows him to go back. He gives him authority. He gives him resource. He gives him people. And he goes back to Jerusalem. He rallies the leaders around. He lets them know, hey, God has placed it on my heart. And miraculously, he's given us the ability. Let's get together and work. And they begin to work on this wall. Everyone begins to work. And what's interesting and what I love about this book is that there's no overt miracles. I mean, they don't march around the wall seven times backwards and they do a reverse Jericho. <laughs> what's that to be kind of cool, you know? March backwards around, all of a sudden the walls all come back up. No, it was hard work. It was good leadership. It was pressing through discouragement. And there was opposition. And in this book, we meet three characters that are always opposing what God is doing, and that's Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And these guys try nonstop to stop the process. In fact, at one point, Nehemiah instructs everyone that's working, they're working with a sword in one hand and a tool in the other. In the other. And so Nehemiah leads through all these obstacles, and in 52 days, they finish the work. Incredible. Think about that. What couldn't be accomplished in 140 years was accomplished in 52 days. The people were working in unity, and it was accomplished. And what's interesting, what followed, and a lot of times we don't talk about what followed that 52 days, is they had 24 days of revival. I mean, their spirits were high. They were thanking God. They literally marched around on top of the walls and praised God and thanked God. And for 24 days, they had a revival. They had, similar to what we're doing, this 21 days of fasting and prayer, it was a time of recommitment to God. The priest's name was Ezra. It's the first time that a pulpit is mentioned in the Bible. Really, they, they build a pulpit or a, a stand, and he stands on it, and he reads the scripture. And these people listen to the scripture, and they respond to it. And then he would stop, and he would explain the scripture to them. And they even broke up into small groups Hey, check this out. Isn't this what we do on Sundays? We read the scriptures. We explain the scriptures. And they met in small groups, and they committed themselves in their hearts. They repented of their way because they had been wrong with their time, with their money, 
with their relationships all the way back. That's why Jerusalem was destroyed and nothing really had changed in their hearts, but this was an opportunity for them to change. They said, God, we repent of how we've used our time. We repent of how <clears throat> we've misused our money, and we repent of how we've misused our relationships, and they committed to God's house, and everything puts back into order, all the way back to when King David had first had the vision for the temple. So they had the choirs in the right place. They had all the priests and all the helpers in the right place. They had all the storerooms filled with the right things. The sacrifices were going on, and it was running like clockwork. And God was ruling again, and it was incredible, and it was so great that Nehemiah was able to go back to Babylon, go back to his regular job. You know what he did after all the success? He went back and continued to serve the king as a cupbearer. But the people had made a commitment. We see in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, this is what their hearts are saying. So we are making a firm agreement. We're writing it down. Our leaders are putting their official marks. They're signing on the dotted line. And so are our Levites and our priests. They were making new resolution that we're never going back. This is the way things are going to be, and we are going to serve God. And they lived happily ever after. Isn't that the way all Bible verses end, right? Isn't that the way that story? Nah, <laughs> no, it went well. But 10 years later, dun, 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 that's, that's dramatic. You know, after 10 years, look what happens. And I want to start reading in Nehemiah 13, 4. Read with me here. It says, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms in the house of our God. And he had worked closely with Tobiah. Everybody go, hey, boo. <laughs> a muffle boo, right? I mean, are you kidding me? After all they've been through, look at old Tobiah sneaking back in here. He had also provided a large room for Tobiah that had been used to store the grain offerings, the incense, and the objects for the temple had been put there. And a tenth of the grain, olive oil, and fresh wine had been kept there. That's what the law required the Levites. But look what old Eliashib is doing. And Nehemiah explains, but I wasn't in Jerusalem while all this was going on. I had returned to the Persian king, Adarixes, the king of Babylon. And I went to him in the 32nd year of his rule. Sometime later, I asked if to let me return to Jerusalem. And when I got back, I learned about the evil thing that Eliashib had done. He had provided a room for Tobiah, and it was in the courtyards of God's house. So I was very unhappy, and I threw all of Tobiah's things out of the room. In other words, he broke up with Tobiah, right? Ever break up with somebody, and everything goes out, and you change the locks? Maybe not, but let's keep going. I gave orders to make the rooms pure and clean. He sanitized them. Isn't this great? It's good. And I put the supplies of God's house back into them. That included the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned, things had even gotten worse, that the shares of the Levites were supposed to be received hadn't been given to them. So all the Levites and the musicians had to leave their regular temple duties. They had to go back to their farm and their own fields. And I gave a warning to the officials and asked them, why aren't you taking care of God's house? They had signed on the dotted line. They had made this firm commitment. We are, are, we are in. We are committed. Forevermore, we're going to be on this place. We're going to be on the right trajectory. It goes on to say that Nehemiah begins to investigate a little more. And what does he find? He finds that on the Sabbath day, which is meant 
to be set aside, they're still having the gates open and markets going on. They had foreign traders coming in and bringing in their wares, and they were having this open market on the Sabbath day. And Nehemiah kicked them out to the curb, changed the locks, locked the gates. He wouldn't let them in. He sees them doing the same things that had got them kicked out of Jerusalem in the first place. They were not taking good care of their time. They were not taking good care of their resources. And they weren't taking care of God's house. And Nehemiah finds them, he confronts them, and he, he gets up all into their life, and he gets pretty stern with them. Why are you doing this? You had made a commitment, you made a resolution, and you said you're not going back, but here you are. Here's what's happening. They are in the process of losing the change. And guess what? When I make commitments, I still have the possibility. I am still vulnerable to going back and losing the change that I've committed to. So that's why I have to watch myself, you guessed it, like a hawk. I've got to watch myself like a hawk. The Bible tells us this. Galatians 6.1 says, keep an eye on yourself. You thought you were supposed to be watching your neighbor, right? No, no. Keep an eye on yourself. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself. Acts 20.28, 20, keep watch over, you guessed it, yourself. 2 John 8.8 8 says, look to yourselves. i got to continue to be saying, Dave, where are you at? The commitments you made to God, have you faded? I wish I was like one of those new cars that had that special, you know, that mode you can put on to keep you right between the lines, right? Because I don't know when I drive, I tend to fade. I can fade over into the back massager, you know. Nobody ever does that, right? Wake up everybody in the car, where are you going? Oh, because I fade. I've got to watch myself like a hawk. Now, what's the deal with hawks? You know that hawks can see eight times greater than the human eye? That means if you had the vision of a hawk, you could be on an eight-story building and look down at the sidewalk and you could see those people like they were right in front of you. Hawks have these visions. We see about 180 degrees, our peripheral vision. You know, hawks can see practically 360 degrees. The part is that they have eyes on the side of their head, which I wouldn't recommend that. But they're flying around, right? Listen, in this life, there is no cruise control. A great feature on a car is that it won't let you go out of bounds, but in my life, it won't. I've always heard this. Active attention is required for retention. We have to watch ourselves like a hawk, and losing the change become easier when, and I'm going to tell you four things today. Losing the change becomes easier when, first of all, you let the wrong people in. It's when you let Tobiah in after all they had accomplished. He was trying to stop the progress from the very beginning. He was intimidating them and distracting them. And Nehemiah wouldn't give in. I love this about the story. This is the place where Nehemiah, when he was building the wall, he said, I'm not going to meet with you. I'm not going to connect with you. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to keep doing what God wants me to do. That sounds like me on the first week of the fast, the first week of, of the new year when I've made those commitments. I'm not going to do it. Do you think that they were in these 24 days of revival that they would even consider when they were in this revival time, when, when Ezra was reading the word and they were repenting, they probably think in their minds, we're never going back. We're never going to get caught up in the things we were before. But time and pressure, they drifted. They drifted. 
Do you know that uh, what they call a flock of hawks? <laughs> they don't really call it that. They call it a kettle. A group of hawks together is called a kettle. How's that for a little bit of knowledge dropped on you? You know, you got a gaggle of geese. You probably heard that one. Or a conspiracy of ravens. You ever heard that? Or a murder of crows. Yeah, it's getting darker and darker. <laughs> they probably have a death of buzzards. I don't know. But anyway, we're talking about a, a kettle of hawks. The reason they call them that is because when hawks get together, they fly in these circles. You'll see them circling in the sky. They're circling like, like boiling water or like water going around into a kettle. They do that for a reason. It helps them gain altitude together. It conserves their energy, and it's a great form of communication with them. You know what I'm thinking, man? Some of us need some kettling in our life. We're trying to do things alone, and hawks know that when they're together, they're working together. They conserve energy when they're working together. They can fly higher when they do it together, and communication is clearer when they're in a group. Sometimes we can let the wrong people in. There's something about when you come to a place of commitment in your life, there might be some rooms you need to clean out, and there might be some keys you need to take away from certain people. And I'm not saying we reject people. I'm just saying if we let the wrong things into our life, don't be surprised if the wheel begins to fade. Second thing that you're at risk of losing your change is this. When you're ambiguous about change. When you're ambiguous about change. This year, I want to be closer to God. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? This year, I, I want to do better. I just want to be so close to God. Well, how and when? You know, when I make a change in my life, when I make a commitment, when I decide that I'm going to do the Daniel diet like I've done on this 21-day stretch here, is I'm going to do Daniel diet, right? I all of a sudden turn into the best Washington, D.C. loophole lawyer that's ever existed. I can make more loopholes for this thing, and I can negotiate. You know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm only eating vegetables, but, you know, vanilla ice cream is really made from the vanilla bean. <laughs> and a bean is what? It's a vegetable, right? And chocolate is really comes from the cocoa bean. Hello. It comes on a, a, a bush, right? With the bush. Very healthy, right? And I can just begin to negotiate. You can see, I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but that's what we do. I need goals that are specific enough that I can't loophole out of them because I am my own worst advocate because I can say something and then I make an excuse about why I say it. The question is, who holds you accountable to the changes you say you want to make? Or do you just leave them ambiguous so if nobody knows, nobody knows when I'm not doing it? Well, it's just good between me and God. Well, guess what? We need more than that. We need people into our lives. That's why Hawks Kettle. You know, I have a ministry coach uh, in my life, someone that coaches me in my leadership, and, uh, and he's been with me for some time. He knows who I am, and twice a month we meet together, either in person. Most of the time it's on a Zoom call, and we meet and we talk about goals. And so when I say, hey, he says, what do you think you need to do? I think I need to be doing this. And then he's, he doesn't just say, okay, that sounds good, Dave. No, he says, where are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? Show me on your calendar. Mm, I hate that part, right? And here's the real bad part. The next time we're on Zoom, guess what he asked me? Hey, you made this commitment last time, so tell me when you've done it. 
Tell me when you've done it. Show me on your calendar. You see, Nehemiah came back and he held them accountable to the commitments that they had made. Things that he knew they needed to do. Things that they knew they needed to do. And he didn't let them slide. Okay, we've got the enemy in the rooms in our temple and we're not keeping <laughs> the, the Sabbath and we're letting the market in. Something's got to change. You think you can keep your gates open and let anybody come in and out and everything's going to stay the same? No. Or let me just get real in my life. I can't be hanging out at Krispy Kreme if I say I'm not eating sugar. Hello? Everybody know what Krispy Kreme is, right? Pretty much heaven in a box, right? You get them hot off the... Oh, my goodness. But thank God there's only one in the area and it's far enough away where I can't get there in time. But we've got to be specific and Nehemiah came back and got real specific. Hello, his stuff's going out, the right stuff's coming in, and we're locking these doors. Hey, on the Sabbath, the gates are gonna close, they're not coming in. Because you've gotta watch yourself like a hawk or we'll get all ambiguous about it. Let me ask you this, what gates do you need to be closing in your life? What permission do you need to be giving other people to say, would you watch, would you look, would you help me stay committed to what I need to do. In other words, don't loophole. Third thing is this. We're at risk of losing the change when we have too much time on our hands. Too much time on our hands. You know when all the trouble started in this particular story, in this particular happening, all the trouble started when the work was finished. You notice that? When they were busy on the wall, they didn't have time to do nothing, man. They had a sword in one hand and a tool in the other, and they were working for their lives, and the families were united together, and they were working on the wall closest to their own homes, so they were vested in this thing. And the wall went together, and it came up, and they celebrated together, and then they said, let's all take a break. And things didn't last. And let me tell you, we need to have times to recharge and recuperate. But then we got to get back to work again. So many times when people say, well, I'm going to take a break for a while, and that break just keeps going. And pretty soon we've got too much time on our hands. Pastor Clint was talking today about serving. Everybody in the church needs a friend and a job. Why? To keep us occupied, to keep us busy, to keep reminding us of what we're on earth for. Now, there's been a lot of changes in our culture in this last year, said Captain Obvious, right? And you at home are watching online more than ever before, and we love it. We're glad you're there. And there was a period of time where we all had to do it to stay safe, and some still need to do it to stay safe. We see you. We love you. We're glad you're there. But good things happen. Some good things happen out of that as we begin to say, you know what? My busy schedule didn't have to be that way, and I was able to change it around a little bit. But let me tell you, if we don't get back to doing and serving and finding others to pour into, we're going to be at risk of losing the change. And we get too much time on our hands, and we don't know what to do. We do need breaks, but you better have a plan to re-engage, or the wheel is going to start to drift, and it's going to become more and more about us. And we're going to let the wrong people in and we're going to allow the loopholes to justify, and we're going to get all ambiguous, and pretty soon, we're just vanilla. Are you still with me? 
One more thing, and then we're gonna pray. This is the last point I promised you four. I'm gonna give you four. Here's the deal. We're at risk of losing the change when we misinterpret failure or when we misunderstand failure. I suppose the time they compromised what they were committed to when they compromise, and I know in my own life, when I compromise, the devil is going to jump on that. He loves it when I don't live up to what I've committed to. But here's the way he does it, is that I'll fail, if you will, or I will not live up to the agreement that I've made. And he comes in and the devil says, it's all right. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Come on, everybody's probably messed. Everybody's probably cheating a little bit. Go ahead, man. It's all right. And I, okay, okay. And then the second time, it's all right. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. Nobody's really going to notice. And one thing begins to build on another. And pretty soon, I'm so pretty soon I'm so far from that commitment. And then you know what the devil does? He comes in with guilt and condemnation. And say, you are such a loser. I hate this guy. We should hate this guy, right? Because he, he, he lulls us into making the change, and then he beats us up for it. And if we're not careful, we'll say, man, one failure, and I'm away from God. One failure, I can never come back. One failure, and it's not worse. That's why I say every time, if you messed up this week, I mean, this is just a small thing. This 21 days, whatever you decide to do, don't worry about it. Jump back in. We're all going to fail. The, the fact is the long haul. We need to keep coming back. Failure doesn't mean it's over. It means that we just got to reevaluate again. And when you misunderstand failure, then what we're doing is we're misunderstanding grace. That's what grace is for. I'm, I'm, I'm going to fail. I'm going to blow it. Some of the most grandiose, great plans in my life. I'd like to tell you, I've got a ministry coach, and every one of my goals I meet, and, and I am so good at connecting. No, no, no. I'll mess up, and I'll have to be honest with my coach that next session and say, you know what? I said I was going to do that. I'm not going to make any excuse. I didn't. And you know what? He doesn't beat me up. He just says, okay, let's readjust. You know what? God is so much better at that. The Bible says that a godly man, a righteous man, or as the New Living Version says, the godly man may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overflow the wicked, overthrow the wicked. You know, statistically, this is a time of a lot of change where we say, I'm going to do this, and then we stop, and we fade, and we get discouraged, and we never go back. A lot of people during this time of the year say, I'm going to quit smoking. Do you know that two out of three people that say, I'm going to quit smoking, never even try? Do you know that about eight out of ten that do try, fail? But you know, it's interesting. I was reading those that are successful at coming all the way through and accomplishing that goal in their life, they fail more than six times on average. Listen, this road toward heaven, it's not a parking lot. It's a continual journey. Sometimes there's going to be twists. Sometimes there's going to be turns. Sometimes there's going to be detours that I choose myself that I should never have chose. But let me tell you, God is always there saying, come on, let's just get back on track. Let's just get back on track. That's why we say it's great to have a dedication. It's great to say 21 days of fasting and prayer, but it's not about legalism. It's about the freedom to say, God, I just want to follow you more. I just want to connect with you more. Not because I have to, but because I see your heart for me. 
If failure was final, we would never have the story of the prodigal son in our Bibles. He blew it more than most of us could ever even imagine blowing it. And guess who was waiting for him on the journey back? It was a loving father embracing him, saying, let's go again. Let's go again. You might need to look around your life. We've got to watch ourselves like a hawk. Some of us might need to go home and search some rooms because stinking Tobiah has snuck back in. We've got to kick him to the curb. We've got to say, man, it's not me, it's you. We're breaking up. Your stuff's going on the lawn. Or maybe we realize there's some places in our life we've just left the gates open. Even though we say we're committed to it, we've left the gates open. We've left a loophole. Or maybe we've just taken a break and maybe we needed one, but we've never re-engaged in serving others. And because of those things, now we feel like we failed and there's no coming back. Let me tell you again, there's no place you can go so far that God can't reach you. There's no decisions you can make that will disqualify you from the grace of God because that's why a grace is so amazing because he continues to say, come on back, come on back. Watch yourself like a hawk, but realize grace says God's word is gonna keep you coming back and you'll see his arms open for you. I love this story. I love the accomplishment. I love the victory. I love the celebration, but I also love that even when they blow it after, there's still a way back. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the changes that you lead us to. I thank you for the burdens and the challenges you place in our own heart. And God, thank you that we can actually be honest with ourselves and open up your word and say, point out the spot, God. Point out the spot that we can hold ourselves accountable to and walk our way back from. God, I pray today that you would help us. You would help us to see that we can continue to go, we can continue to make those commitments, and even when we fade, we can get right back in and go further. Maybe you're in the room today, and maybe it has nothing to do with any kind of fasting and prayer, but just in your week, in your life, right now in this season, you, you felt like you failed. And the enemy is beating you up over it and telling you there's no way back. Don't listen. Let me tell you, Jesus has you here. There's no accidents for you to be where you're at today. It's no coincidence that you're watching today, that you're listening to this today. And he's telling you there's always a way back because my grace is here for you. Do you need to go in and clean out some rooms? Yeah, probably. Do you know you need to go and close some gates? Absolutely. But he's there for you. Don't misunderstand failure. It's a detour, but it doesn't have to be final. You can always come back. Jesus, help us come back. Jesus, help us stay true. Maybe you just want to say that prayer today. God, you've seen what's happened to me. You've seen my own choices. Bring me back. Bring me back. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus today or you've been far from him. Take Take a clue from what the Bible says that that prodigal son walked home not to find condemnation or ridicule or go sit in the back seat. He was embraced just like you will be embraced, a heavenly father that says, I love you no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with. Come on, let's go for something better. I love you so much, I'm not gonna leave you there. Let's change, let's move forward. 
You could say that prayer today. Jesus, come into my life. Help me to see you where you're at. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for your prayers, and I encourage you, again, don't leave it ambiguous. There's a connect card right in front of you. There's a place for you right now online that you can lift your hand. You can ask for prayer. You can let the host know that you would like for more connection, and we want to talk it through. Let us know the the decisions that God is placing on your heart today. In just a moment, we're going to open up the prayer wall, and basically that's a place where there'll be people that would love to pray for you safely behind one side of a table. You can step up to the other and receive prayer. If you would like to have a prayer request and you're watching online, let us know. We have a prayer chain. We have a group of people 24-7 that would love to pray with you and for you. If you'd stand with me right now, I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness and those of you that continue to give and support Family Life Church. We've come through, the churches have come through most crazy time in the history of my lifetime and in a generation. But you've continued to be faithful. You know, we're continuing to support our missionaries. We have missionaries that we give to. We have not missed one month of support to our missionaries, and it's thanks to your generosity. Thank you for that. Continue that up, absolutely. Because we're not done. This isn't a parking lot. This is a road. We're moving forward. Until I see you again, I pray that God would bless you and keep you. I pray that he would turn his face towards your life, that he would see you and you would see yourself. Maybe you're going to have to watch yourself like a hawk, but you're going to see you the way he sees you with love and compassion. God bless you as you go live the life today. Hey guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org. Or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. And I just want to say thank you and God bless your week.